gentlemen, it's your boy, Sam Killstrap. That name's got a ring to it like a wedding vow. And if you are a ghosty and you're tired of me saying that, um, get used to it. It's not going away because I like the way it sounds. Today's guest on episode 52 is the one, the only, Jim Hunt. Jim, how the hell are you today? I'm good, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Ghost Lights podcast. It's been a long My time. My pleasure. I just wanted to do a little homework here, a little housekeeping before we dive in. Um, as always, that song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. That brings us in and takes us out. Um, you should please download that on iTunes or give them a follow on Spotify. They have a great, great canon of work. So I hope you go out there and, and dive in and enjoy. I know I did. Um, also, we have our first official sponsor, and I want to make sure that I give them the proper shout out. Susan Ramsdorf Terry is a professional costume designer here in Denver, Colorado, making face masks out of your favorite fabric patterns, Star Wars, Harry Potter, the Avengers, or even your favorite solid colors and patterns. Just reach out and she can custom make a mask for you. Masks are $10 each and you can contact Susan either on Facebook or by emailing us here at the Ghost Lights podcast at Outlook.com. Once again, our email address is theghostlights at Outlook.com. So thank you very much, Susan Ramsdorf Terry, for making those masks. It is it is still required of us, and I want to look good if it's required. So I want the best. So Jim, how have you been uh, processing the uh, the quarantine on your end? Uh, I have been being a good a good. Uh, citizen and because i'm 76 years old um i've been pretty much staying home and uh letting people deliver things to me and shop for me and fortunately i have a network of people willing to do that um hanging out with my buddy josh hartwell all the time or most of the time um i think i've done five of the uh the COVID 19 uh response team? theatrical response team uh, performances I, i've done four and then one uh one other uh, uh zoom uh, theater piece so that's been very strange to uh to get to do some of the roles i wanted to do all my life like a a, a 40 minute king lear yeah king lear in a box so i got to play king lear and then i got to play uh, Don Quixote uh, yesterday with you, Sam, as my Sancho Panza. And uh, and then not so long ago, I uh, did Lady Bracknell for the theatrical response team. And, and truly a dream role. I've always wanted to play Lady Bracknell. Mm. I think that probably most people who know Ernest would agree with me that she really is a man. And so it might as well be, be played by a man. She's called a Gorgon without being a myth. So, you know, a monster without being a myth, a Gorgon. So anyway, I had great fun doing that. Oh my God. Um, I, do, I do think about uh, what if this is what theater became, and then I get a little depressed about that. But then I also ask myself, when am I going to feel really good about standing up on the stage <clears throat> delivering a full performance with a theater full of people sitting i guess i just don't really buy the the distancing in theater you know that we yeah. could all sit six feet apart i can't think of anything that would seem more awful than to be uh, playing to a s s sort of a smattering of a crowd like that Absolutely. so yeah it's just um i'm confused and i'm trying to uh take each day at a time. I, I think I have never in my life um, just lived one day at a time quite the way I'm doing it right now. Mm, Cooking it. a lot, eating a lot, drinking a lot. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Haven't they started yet today, though, so that's... Brooklyn Club Sodas. <laughs> mm. No, I, that's, that's interesting, Jim. Yeah, I, I mean, you're... Your take on it is what what intrigues me. It, it, you're absolutely right, and you're definitely not alone. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so interesting for me specifically to like wake up in the morning, usually around nine a.m., and go like if I'm lucky nine a.m. and uh, think about, all right, 
how do I pass this time? How do I get, <laughs> how do I get back to this bed and not feel like I'm just giving up? Yeah. And uh, it's, it, it's, it, oh man, this, the, the performance thing, and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast has been, has been really awesome for me. It has been something that I, I fought against in my brain. And in the first performance, I was really against all of it. Just, I mean, because the podcast, even with you, is it, there's still this intimacy gap. Yeah. You're in your home and I'm in my home. And then we are connected via Wi-Fi and a glowing book, Master. And it, that's, that's awesome that I can talk to you like this, that technology is bringing us together. But... You know, I what? think we've been hanging out more the last couple of weeks uh, yes. <laughs> than we ever did. It's, it's I, just... mean, no, I mean, one of my dreams came true on Sunday. I got to be <laughs> in a scene with Jim Hunt and talk to Jim Hunt and connect <laughs> with him on a performance stage, if you will. And that, that was a fucking dream come true. No one's ever <laughs> going to be able to take that away from me. The only cool. thing is I can't put that necessarily on the resume, although maybe we might have to. <laughs> And I never, uh, ever thought that I would be wearing a wok on my head, pretending that it was uh, a barber's bowl because I had nothing else. I had no other metal uh, receptacle like a pan that would fit on my head. So I ended up wearing a wok, which was great fun. You, look you know, great. I think something that fueled the way I'm feeling now in a profound way was, I can remember it so vividly, for about four weeks, I was rehearsing for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday at the Royal Fox. Billy McBride was Peter Pan. And my siblings were played by Cheryl McCollum and Leonard Barrett and Andrew Ullenhoff. And our dying father was played by Joey Wishnia. Well, we got to do a final dress rehearsal slash preview mm -hmm. on March 12th, which was a Thursday night. And we were told by our director, lovely Helen uh, Murray, that, that we were going to get to do the first weekend before the city of Aurora closed us down. So we played our preview to maybe 15 people who were very carefully distanced. And up to that point, you know, we'd been rehearsing just as if we were going to have a full run and we were fully tacked, uh, ready to go. And we found out the middle of the day on Friday the 12th. So our preview would have been on the 11th, I guess. I think I'm right. No, the 13th was going to be opening. And it, we midday got an email saying it wasn't going to happen. So this, this show, and this happened to a lot of people. It happened to Curious, for example, happened at Miner's Alley. The show was just stillborn. You know, there was, yeah. it, it never got to have its life. And so it, it left something just unfinished that I think I'm still trying to figure out how to address that, how to finish, you know, and, and it, I have no interest in, you know, doing a risky performance. Yeah. There was even some talk of maybe trying to film it safely somehow, but I just, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. So okay. I, and so that, what it also makes me realize is that, this, this isn't unique to me. We're all in this uh, together at the same time. So I've really found this Zoom theater uh, pretty rewarding. I, uh, I think I'm lucky that I get asked to do it and that I'm savvy enough that I can <laughs> work the technology well enough. And uh, but I mean, I've had a lot of fun and it's something to look forward to. Definitely. Um, yeah. It helps occupy the time and gives you something to focus on. And, sure and that's, I'm, I'm setting, like I set, I'm directing a project that's coming out this Sunday, shameless plug. It'll be American Buffalo. It's going nice. to star Paul Barillo, Richard Cowden, Cameron Varner. It's going to be a great piece. We're going to have a lot of fun, but I scheduled that out like a month ago and scheduled the rehearsals like three weeks ago. Like I need the time blocked. So I had something on the horizon and, Right. You're absolutely right. This is when, where I started with it was, you know, resistant and hopefully it's not, you know, for a long time. And that was back in early, like late March. Yep. And I've been lucky enough that the people that have started it um, are good friends and, you know, 
a roommate as well as people who appreciate my work you know that they're they're not asking me just to be a part of it because i also act um at least i hope not <laughs> but uh since then it's become one of those things where like every week now i try to find new ways to challenge myself with it because there will come a time when we get that vaccine or whenever they <laughs> green light it and the you know we feel comfortable enough going back into a theater with people that uh i wanted i still want to be sharp and I ain't very few tools out there in this uh this shed are sharper than yours jim and that i want you to know you are doing amazing work even in this new format this new age thank you sam Absolutely. i it is interesting to not be memorizing you know because uh I still have, uh, uh, I'm amazed, I don't, I don't know which theater, I, I guess I would thank the theater gods. I don't know why my mind has stayed the way it has, but uh, memorizing is still pretty easy for me. And when I learned Our Town at Miner's Alley a little over a year ago, um, I really did wonder, will all those words ever end up in my brain? And and they did, so, you know, but so now I'm worried about this hiatus, you know, if yeah. I go two years without memorizing anything, will I lose the, the whatever, uh, uh, whatever's allowing me to do it currently? The memory. The last time I tried. Yeah. Now, I, here's a challenge for you to stay sharp. Uh, memorize a monologue once a month. Yeah, I should. Yeah. I mean, I should. that, um, we, what you were talking about in terms of like what like that is something that i've definitely worried about and over the course of our last performance together doing you know don quixote i was like i'm not doing this again without being memorized it's nice to have this the script up there but i mean yeah. one of the things that I, I i've got the downtime i'm fortunate enough that i've got a roof over my head i've got money coming in good, so good. i so i don't have to like scramble and try and find other ways to to make this work without me you know losing the roof or whatever so i'm gonna i'm gonna try and make the most of this going forward like i'm not i'm not coming on a zoom performance without being memorized again wow do yeah. you think that's going to become the new normal or is it just going to be a personal goal that you set it's, it's i'm i hope it is not the new normal it is my personal goal yeah. so that when i do a performance i can do gallery view as opposed to minimizing my camera and putting it as close to whatever i look into so I can like pull cold copy without deviating too much from the other people in the room. As weird as that is, but yeah, that sounds great. And you could you could keep the script close by just in case you had a little little lapse. Oh, totally. No, I'm still gonna download it and have it open behind the screen. But you know, if I need to, I'm gonna try and. I mean, it's hell. I mean, that's I mean, part of. Part of being being an actor is the fun you get to do once that script's out of your hands. Yeah, it is true. And it's, well, and yesterday I had sun coming in, and then in the twenty minutes before our piece, yeah, it got cloudy and dark and rainy. And the minute I started to read, I didn't have enough light, so I was holding my script anywhere I could to get some light on the damn thing. Had I been, and that would have been a script I could have memorized. You know, you oh, we yeah. both could have done that. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm sure Joy would have too. So yeah, it. it I mean, for some of the things that, the, for some of the pieces that work the best, apparently in this this new format, you know, hitting the audience with like quick ten minute fun, punchy things that would you know whatever it is. Yeah, like that's that seems to be a good medium, and those are the opportunities for an actor to go like, okay, get this off book. I mean, yeah. it, the sun is one thing. I'm lucky enough. I've got one of these little lights here. It's one of those halo lights. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, sweet. Yeah, I don't have it on right now because I've got sun outside my window, so I'm lucky. There's a little window right behind me here, but or in front of me, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, shoot, it's part like I'm. It's it's. I guess what I'm trying to get at is there is a connection that can be made that bridges this time period that we're living in, and if I can make that connection stronger by having the stuff off book, then that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm gravitating to trying to put so many of my podcast episodes out there is because I don't have a script. I've got three questions guaranteed. And then everything else is just whatever me and the guest has to offer. And, and that's 
I mean, shit, that's the goal. It's trying to become better friends. Well, and I appreciate not having to look at anything right now, you know, as I've been, I've been doing enough of these that I'm used to seeing myself in the square and being on book and looking, oh, yeah. you know, listening and looking for cues. And so, yeah, it's lovely. Oh, man. And I have, I have had some virtual happy hours, but I, I, I think one-on-one is so much nicer because if you have four or five people and you don't have any ground rules, then it, it can be not very productive, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if it's not, and if the, and one of the things that as a witness to the growth of this theater company is I think one of the things that pushes it in the right direction is the desire to be innovative without being stagnant. So yeah. it's fine for for us to say do two forms of Shakespeare that have been cut down within an hour, as long as we're, you know we're, we're growing and we're we're building off of that. And I think we've done that, and at the very I least, we've learned from it. And it's when we start doing the American Buffalo is going to be the challenge. It's a two-hour piece. We got a five-minute break. I'm going to try doing the whole thing. You're doing it as written. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. There's pauses in there, and David Mamet put those pauses in there. Right. I'm telling them no pauses. Let's go. Like, uh, did you have to get any kind of clearance to do this? Because Mammoth, you know, is oh, yeah. famous for being. We're doing, we're doing a private showing. We won't be advertising yeah. that much, and it's yeah. outside of the normal stuff and no profit. Yeah, so that's that's the been one of the awesome ground things about this piece is like no no profit. It's it's because we we as artists have an itch to scratch. Right. Right. <laughs> Then I think that's that's I think that's going to keep us safe. If not, um, I take full responsibility, David. I'll write the course. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do. Just don't have a talk back. Yeah. No. No. Definitely not. A, we're not doing a talk back. Are you kidding me? We'll do a come on. We'll open up our cameras. We'll wave at everybody. Close those out, and then start doing shots. <laughs> be okay. Exactly. Exactly. Or start the shots before. Fuck yeah! I mean shit. <laughs> Jim, the theater. How did it happen to you? Oh, wow. Um, I think my sister would say that I was acting from the moment I was born, uh, even though she's three years younger than I am. Uh, there's a story that I don't, I don't have any way to check it out now. But supposedly, when I was two years old, I had memorized the night before Christmas. And I would uh, run around reciting it to people. And my father, who was a lovely man, single parent, because my mother died when I was four, mm. um, my father uh, apparently uh, kind of squelched that. He thought it was a little too crazy that a two-year-old knew the entire night before Christmas and was willing to recite it at you know a, any given moment. So mm. I, I do think I've always had this penchant for memorizing, and I've always been my my brother who just died a month ago as a year a year older than i uh was a cryptologist and mathematician and and i the artsy fartsy guy and we my brother ron and i always used to say that if you put the two of us together you'd have one whole person uh my poor sister growing up every holiday uh, i would write little plays and cast her in various roles I'm sure her favorite was the Virgin Mary at Christmas. And, uh, you know, I would make little costumes and sets. And, and then the whole family, of course, would be required to come in and watch the performances. Uh, my, my sister once uh, had to sit in a Debbie Reynolds dress, uh -huh. seeing Tammy from Tammy and the Bachelor, looking down at a mirror on the floor covered with leaves so it looked like she was gazing into a lake <laughs> so i think it probably started then but uh the 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 day the switch went on for me just one single moment where it just the switch went on was when i saw i was in the ninth grade i went to westminster high school here here in the metro area and I saw a beautiful production of Our Town. Mm. Um, it changed my life. I, I went away and, and, and I remember thinking, that's it, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I want to feel like that as often in my life as I possibly can. So for me a year ago to get to do the stage manager 
in Miner's Alley's production um, was a really a, a dream come true. I've taught that play, I've directed it, uh, but I never got to be in it. And so to finally, you know, obviously never got to play George. I never got to play Simon Stimson uh, or any of the other guys, the editor, editor Webb, wonderful part, um, Doc Gibbs. But here a year ago, I got to play the that great role in a, in a really creative production at Miner's Alley. We did it, we did it sort of in the round and we, did a little. Uh, um, we had we had a cast of tw I thought maybe we had fourteen, but yeah. Len Matteo did a wonderful job of directing that piece, and and it, it's one of my favorite things I've done. But I really I really credit our town, and I think I think Wilder is really uh, underrated. I think he was a genius. I think I think our town may be the great American play. If not that, then the skin of our teeth for sure. So I'm, I'm just a wilder fan extraordinaire. Oh, wow. Um, Go ahead. That's kind of where it all started. Um, and then I went to school to, at UNC. When it was not even UNC, it was Colorado State College. Mm -hmm. um, people who know Greeley probably know that the theater called the Langworthy Theater Mm -hmm. it used to be called Frasier when I was there, but it's named after Helen Langworthy, who founded the Little Theater of the Rockies. And when I graduated with my master's in 1965 from Colorado State College, now UNC, uh, I did the Little Theater of the Rockies for three summers. And my last show, A Man for All Seasons, where I played Thomas Cromwell, was also Helen Langworthy's last show. She retired, uh, so uh, and I, ha I just thought I had a terrific uh, training. My I majored in English. My master's is in British literature, mm -hmm. but my minor was always theater. And uh, every summer we would do six plays in eight weeks, and so I, I, I and and everything there was done uh, strictly. You know, we we everybody had to be part of a, a crew. Everybody had to learn to build scenery correctly. Um, rehearsals, nothing was ever uh, uh, done quickly or it was always about learning to be a, a good actor, to be a good tech person, to be a well-rounded theater person. So staying right here in Colorado where I was born, Fort Morgan, uh, I think I've got a great education that has served me all my life. Yeah, no, I, that's, it's, it's great that you bring that up. I mean, when I was at Metro, um, shout outs to the Roadrunners, like that, that was part of the curriculum. Like you couldn't take acting. I didn't take acting one until I had knocked out all of the tech side of things. Yeah. And it, knowing all the ins and outs that go into making any piece of live theater, not only does it, I mean, I've had my struggles with the arrogance and egotism, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've never sat back and thought I can do that tech job. Like yeah. I can do that. Oh, well, how the fuck did he screw with that like you? Dan Riv's a jerk. <laughs> Kidding, Dan, I love you. Please don't cut the recording. This job is easy. <laughs> Stage managing so easy. Like, there's nothing to it. You're, you're oh, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Dan, when, when I, or in my early days of doing theater, even in the Denver area, uh, I lived in Michigan for three years, came back in 68, and pretty much have done theater in the Denver metro area. For, since 68, however many number of years that is, but I mean, a stage managing was not, um, hadn't developed the way I experience it now. I mean, I, I can remember being in lots of shows where there really wasn't anyone who was identified as stage manager. And then all of a sudden, you know, I look at people like you, Dan Ribb, and I just think, you know, how did we ever live without you? Uh, <laughs> the sort of the, the, the backbone of the show. Absolutely. I ask myself that question every day. And... <laughs> oh, you guys. <laughs> Damn, These things exist. They can happen, but you know, the playwright alone does not make it happen. The director alone does not make it happen. We That's make sure. it happen. What was it about our town, Jim? Was it the entire piece or was it like a specific moment that you're like fuck 
this is what lights, this is lighting it. Do you, or was it the, the evening, the entire event? I, you know, I think the, the, that I remember less about that production that is concrete and more just essence, what it did to me. And I know I saw a kind of standard production where, you know, pretty much according to Wilder's stage directions, the, there was no scenery. There was there were two obligatory trellises. Otherwise, it was tables, chairs, ladders, planks, and and I do know the costuming was was turn of the last century. Whereas when we did it at Miners, we did more contemporary. Uh, we wouldn't have said we're doing a modern modern costume, but we would have said we're wearing clothes. You know, we're yeah. wearing we're actors wearing clothes, uh, yeah. and I thought it was really really cool. But uh, I think it was Emily's death in the third act that that just it just blew my mind. I I I probably had a big crush on George, the actor who played George, and I'm sure Emily was pretty. And I think that when a when a really good high school production gets done, yeah, you do have to have kids pretending to be mothers and fathers, but you get George and Emily at exactly the right age. And that's almost something you can't, you can't, you can't buy that, you know? And, and I, when I directed it at Alameda high school year, years and years ago, I just, I couldn't have had a more perfect Emily and a more perfect George. And they were exactly the right age, you know, just about to graduate from high school. So that love story, uh, I know touched my heart, and then I know Emily's death was just heartbreaking to me. And, um, and but I think it was it was also the the risks that Wilder took. I mean, that was so groundbreaking when he did when he wrote that play in the forties. I think um, to go with no scenery and and just let the words carry carry it all. Um, well, and good acting, and you know, suggested scenery um yeah that's i don't know it's kind of mysterious to me why why that play just was the culprit that it was <laughs> that's I mean, that's, that's brilliant I, I it reminds me of I, I saw a show at the denver center years ago um about a, a black jockey um horse racer and i can't remember the title of it and i can't remember who played the part anyway there's a scene where he's riding his horse around the track and there's multiple scenes like this, but it was the first scene. And I had amazing freaking seats, like third row center in the big house. The, yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry. At the Jones or at the Jones. Oh, oh, wow. And uh, he's going around in slow motion. You know, he's fake. He's, he's, he's acting the slow motion race as there's an overhead um, radio announcer talking about it. And he's got this sheer look of determination and focus on his face and his tongue is out and, and it looks like he's biting through his tongue and he's looking right at me. Whoa. And I, it was like, I, I looked at him and I looked around the room and I looked back at him and his focus hadn't breaking from mine. And when I realized that he was still with me, I stayed with him for the rest of the race. Whoa. And I, I was like, at the, I left that theater and he, the second race comes and he picks me again and stays with me. And I just, I thought this is definitely a performance. These are guys wearing costumes and we're in a room with people, with the people we can see. Clearly he could see me. And it felt like he was rounding the third turn at the Kentucky Derby. Wow. It, and, it, and from that moment on, it was like, that's, that shit's powerful. What we do is powerful. I mean, when I was in I high mean, school. I, I wonder what he would have done if you hadn't played back, you know? Would he oh, yeah. just have found somebody else or? I would, yeah, I would. I mean, I know that's what I would have done. Like, if yeah. I don't, if I can't, if I can't make that connection with somebody in the audience, I'll, I'll break that. Um, often, though, I get a little uncomfortable after about 30 seconds of intense <laughs> contact when I'm in the moment. So then I'll break it and shift it to somebody else. But I think you're right. I think the magic that we create on stage is, it is powerful. 
And there are some people who are maybe more susceptible, susceptible to it than others. You just made me remember that one of my favorite moments doing Our Town was when I, I would tend to stay on stage through, dur during the two intermissions. And between Act One and Two, I was standing in, in a part of the audience and this probably middle school girl said, excuse me. And I said, yeah. And she said, um, are you are you an actor? And I said, well, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm playing the stage manager. And, and, and what I know she was telling me was that I didn't seem to be acting. I seemed to be just this guy in charge of telling the story. And I thought it was the nicest compliment I could have been given because uh, if you act the stage manager, then I think you've lost something fundamental to the play. Absolutely. And, and yet I could have been insulted. What do you mean am I an actor? <laughs> Is it so bad you don't even know if I'm qualified to do this? <laughs> That's <laughs> very yourself. sweet. Of course I am an actor. <laughs> exactly. That's what I want to do. Right. <laughs> you <laughs> must stay after school. <laughs> Watch me act. Just for that, you have to learn my lines. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> from from that time sitting there in the audience and to the career that you've carved out for yourself, what are some of the things that have changed for you, like your perspective, your, your perspective on performance, from the boy in high school watching this play yeah. to the to the man, Jim Harmon. Yeah. Well, I think going to school at, at UNC, of course, we had a we had a regular season, maybe three shows during the year, but it was doing the summer theater where we did truly six shows in eight weeks, and I was usually cast in five of those. So I was learning lines literally around the clock. I mean, just just. Um, like I, be, I was a machine almost, and I know it was great training, but I also know that when you're cranking out eight, six shows in eight weeks, you, you don't have time to explore a character in any great depth, and, and you develop a lot of safe sort of go-to uh, uh, bad habits, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I think I acted for a lot of years with a lot of bad habits and i think there are probably people who would say i still have them but in my mind i've broken a lot of bad habits and there's somewhere in there i got interested in just um not acting you know i got i got interested in in finding where the character met me and where i met the character and and i think acting became more being than it became you know putting something on so when I think of some of the hardest roles I've done, uh, like James Tyrone in Long Day's Journey and Tonight and Davies in The Caretaker, um, of course, there's a huge technical piece that you have to come to grips with, come to terms with learning all those lines and just in, in The Caretaker, just sheer stamina. But, but I, I think that when I finally reached a point as an actor where I could be on stage and 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 not be afraid, not be worried about lines, uh, just feel completely rolled up in the character, but not, and I don't mean in that that scary kind of confusing, you know, the character with uh, thinking you really are the character yeah. um, and hurting people as a result and all of that. But there was something about just, I don't know, I don't, I, I, I can't even tell you, how it happened, except that I just kept doing theater and doing theater. Yeah. And um, I had really good training, but I think the real training came uh, just when I immersed myself in one role after another and, and tried to uh, just not act. I, I don't know any other way to say it, but, no. but I'm a big fan of not acting and, uh, and, and yet I'm sure I've coerced, as a director, I'm sure I've coerced actors into, into making, you know, really stupid choices. And, uh, that's, 
that that's not a great answer, but but something changed in there. I also it's huge probably for me to mention that I never never did equity. Uh, I never joined equity mostly because th- I taught school for twenty and a half years, mm-hmm. and then I had a strange little career for a year and a half, and then I started a a company, a little sole proprietorship. Actually, I bought one, and 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 morphed it into my own called the right idea. And so I still to this day teach business writing seminars in the corporate world. And my favorite class to teach is still called Getting a Grip on Grammar. Um, and it always made it very difficult to, uh, um, it, made it, it, it made it not make sense to join equity because I couldn't guarantee that I could work during the day. Yeah. Um, so for years and years, I could only do theater that was at night because my schedule was erratic, you know, a, a client, some clients would book a year out and some clients would book a week out. And so, you know, if I would say, well, I, do, I don't have any days free, uh, I wouldn't have made any money. So, um, so theater was never the way I made my money. Uh, not that I made so much, but I mean, it, it's always been, but so much more than a hobby. It took me years to tell people when they say, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I'm a corporate trainer or I'm a teacher, but it took a lot of years to say, I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. And even more years to say, I'm an artist. And I don't know why I wouldn't let myself do that. I, I don't have trouble now saying I'm an artist and, and that's the most important thing I do. You know, I don't have trouble now saying I'm an actor, but for years I just, you know, and I think it was partly because I, well, if I, if really, if I'm really an actor, I would have joined Equity. You know, yeah. um, I almost also went to a to a, a theater academy back in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my ex-wife and I were teaching in Michigan, and I was accepted into a into an acting academy, Meadowbrook uh, Theater, and it would have changed my life. I was accepted, and I didn't go because my draft board here in Brighton said if you go to that academy you'll be hot to trot you'll be going off to the vietnam war and we ended up moving back to colorado and i ended up not going to that academy and so i think i spent my whole life kind of thinking well i'm kind of an actor i'm sort of an actor you know i act a lot i get cast a lot the older i get and can still remember lines the more i get cast but uh but I, I've always struggled with, with you know, because I, it wasn't the only thing I did. And it wasn't, uh, certainly it's what feeds my soul, but it was never what kept food on the table, you know? You were not alone again, Jim. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm 36 years old and it took, I, I've been acting since I got out of college at the age of 27. And honestly, I didn't say that, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable saying I was an actor or an artist until I was in my until I was 35, a couple of years ago. I mean, it wasn't what I put on my tax return, so I wasn't an actor. And when people came to me about being a member of equity, it was, again, it was like, oh, I, I got you know, a day job. I got to keep the day job, you know. And, and it, it, I felt like an alien calling myself just the actor. I do too. I know just what you mean. I, and I have been... I suppose I should say this uh, diplomatically, but a lot of theaters pay me equity, the equity scale. So even though I'm not equity, they will still, if they, because they want me in a, in, in a, in a role, they'll give me the equity contract or they'll give me the, the an equity rate. Uh, I probably shouldn't say who those are, but, but that has happened to me a number of times. And they probably and, don't listen. So you're safe. Huh? They probably don't listen, so you're safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think the first time it happened was Creed, where they just said they're going to give me an equity contract, and that was really cool. Um, and I think that, you know, whatever little um, imposter um, uh, thing I was working through, you know, uh, that that really helped a lot. Um, and I really, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm really humble, but then I also sometimes I'll find myself thinking I'm the most arrogant son of a bitch that ever was. You know, I just go, really? You expect me to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you burn that, dude. You burn that right. 
<laughs> I do think something that I promised myself a long time ago was that I was not going to accept a role just because somebody needed me or because the money was good. I was only going to do it if it was interesting to me mm -hmm. and if it would make me grow and stretch me. And, and when I a little while ago said, you know, I love it when I'm on stage and I'm not scared. I'm, I'm just there. I'm just inhabiting the character. That isn't how it starts. It starts pretty much every time with me being scared to death, yeah. thinking that I'm going to follow the whole thing up and that I'm going to, you know, it'll be my, especially if I have a big part, you know, yeah. my not being able to finish uh, the performance is going to bring down a theater company, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I'm, I'm never arrogant uh, around the craft, but, um, but I do, I do think, um, I do think I try to, to stay as, as, as humble as I can. <laughs> but I'm just not going to do a role just because we need an old guy. You know? <laughs> and uh, I've turned down a couple roles where I've just said, I'm, I don't want to lie in a bed and be dying for two hours. I just, it's going to happen soon enough. I don't need to <laughs> pretend to be doing that every night for six weeks, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yet I think I have died on stage about three times. And one of my favorite roles I ever did was the Rembrandt at, at Boulder Ensemble two yeah. years ago. And I played the role that John Mahoney played. It was the last role he played before he died. He played it at Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. And the Rembrandt is by Jessica Dickey. Um, and so I played the poet Homer in a toga. Mm -hmm. And then I also played a dying lover. Uh, 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 a gay a gay couple and and i I loved lying there almost ready to die because the the part was so juicy and but you know there are some plays that are written just for you know somebody to lie in a hospital bed so people can talk about him and I just I don't want to do that and and I'm not going to do something just because I'm age appropriate you know I, I really need it to be something else I've noticed. And, I, and this kind of surprises me because I think I'm, I'm, I'm sort of classically trained, but I almost never do classic theater. Almost everything I've done, if I look at my resume, I go, new play, new play, new play, new play. Sometimes brand new plays, but mostly, you know, 10 years old or less. And that, that really, I don't know. I never set out to do that. I never made that a goal, but it's just interesting to me when I, Certainly in college, you would have thought, well, I'm, you know, I'll be doing the classics, and yeah. and I don't tend to at all. I, Except I, recently, I've done Lear. And oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to much to much fanfare and critical acclaim, if I <laughs> exactly <laughs> Lear in a box, <laughs> to be exact. Yep, I would. One of the things I, I, to one of the many vibes that I got over the over over that. That, that little breakdown there, which fucking awesome. I've got a lot of questions coming your way. First thing I would say though is, I, I, I think I find like your your career from where I met you at the downtown YMCA onwards yeah. now. I mean, first of all, let's talk about this downtown YMCA that inhabited Jim Hunt, Kajardo Lindsay, Ellen Kay, and your yeah. boy Sam Gilstrap. Like, come on. Yeah. I like, know. Was, I mean, that's there a, we were. Yeah, there's 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 Henry Awards all over that place. <laughs> exactly, and now we can't even go in there. I don't think. Well, no. yeah. Anyway, but I think you've always you've always had um, juice, as the kids would say, heat about you. Your uh, the the work ethic and the stuff that you were you were throwing down, and so I think that kind of that that, that just attracts you to whatever people are putting on. They they want the guys the the artists they they know they can get there, and you do that. Um, but yeah, of course, you, you talk about you know being classically trained and, and yeah, you've got the you've got the homework done, you've done the training. That means you just can do whatever you want. <laughs> I think now at this stage, like yeah, you shouldn't feel like. At you said seventy six, you don't look at day thirty. You you shouldn't be relegated to playing, you know, 
old guy number one. And right. You've got you've got cachet, you've got talent. And that's for anyone listening that thinks that they're too that and, and I'm not saying Jim said this, but if you are thinking that you are too old, you're not. If you've got the ability to get off book, if you've got the game, fucking go out there. You'll put asses in the seats. I mean, real recognizes real, and I want to see real talent, and that's why that's why he's, my guest keeps getting work. Um, with that being said, have you felt a stigma against you at all? Older actor, people you know, not offering you opportunities because they don't know if you got it? Um, actually, I'm trying to think of... I, I don't audition much. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that means I'm more likely to have somebody call me and say, we've, we've got this opportunity, are you interested? And... So it almost puts me on the other side where I feel um, however large the stable of actors of a certain age is, I feel like I'm in Denver, at least in the metro area, I'm, I'm, I have a pretty good um, thing going. I, I have a lot of friends who will say to me, oh, you're here, uh, you know, if, if it's a callback. Because I do sometimes just go straight to callback, you know, and then they'll act like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you're going to get this. And I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. I, I guess I understand that's how we feel. But um, no, I, I feel like I'm treated with, uh, I, I don't know, this will sound really arrogant, but um, I sort of feel like I get treated the way I treat, you know, and I treat people well and I get treated well and, 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 and it sounds really weird, but in my entire theater career, I don't think I ever thought of myself as building a career, you know? Yeah. It's just, well, I guess I do this. It's funny because my family, I was always in shows, but I feel like my daughters uh, in the last maybe five years or so have started to say, wow, dad, he takes this really seriously, you know? And and I think they they went from going to see a show because they had to to once in a while going to a show because they really wanted to, you know, um, and 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 were proud of what I what I was doing. I think Scrooge is a good example of that. My grandson uh, is eighteen and has Down syndrome, Everett, and one of his favorite things. In fact, I just get sad already thinking about Christmas. Uh, I would have trouble believing we'd be back in the theater at Christmas. Um, and yet, you know, his, one of his favorite things to do is to come and see Grandpa Jim play Scrooge. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I get treated very well. So I, I can't, I, I can't think of any stories to dredge up. <laughs> well, that's, that's good then. That's very good. Uh, one of my favorite things is to see Jim Hunt play Scrooge. So <laughs> come on down to Miner's Alley, put some money in that tip jar, please, and enjoy the show. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, are you, you've talked about it, and and, and I and forgive me, I don't want to seem like I'm focused on this now, like I've latched on to the, the number that you've given me, but how, I mean, do you, do you worry about, the future of your acting career or do you just, you know, I'm just going to keep going rolling until I decide not to. Well, I would never have expected to have been thrown this curve, mm-hmm. uh, the COVID curve. Um, and I think most of us would say that. Um, so I would, I would say that pre COVID I was going to go straight from Peter Pan on her 70th birthday to row at Curious. And then I would have had a little time to breathe before gearing back up for the fourth time we would do Christmas Carol at uh, Josh Hartwell's adaptation of Christmas Carol at Miner's Alley. And it would have been my fifth year doing Scrooge because we did another version the first year. Uh, So I felt like I was, uh, until COVID came along, it was sort of like full speed ahead. And, and, and I, I do have to say that 
the the Scrooge is very demanding physically and vocally, uh, and and so last year I went away. Oh, we just had a brutal run because Thanksgiving was so late, and we closed on the twenty third, the day before Christmas Eve, and I think in a month we had almost thirty performances because we had a lot of two show. Sundays and one the final weekend we had two Saturday shows, two Sundays and a Monday. Uh, and I went away from that going, wow, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm yeah. you know I didn't get sick, I didn't break down. I I kept going at two shows a day, just keep keep. Um, I don't know. People ask me all the time where where do you get your energy, and and I you know I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't take it for granted, but I would say that before this, I would say, yeah, I'm just going to keep <laughs> acting until I pull a Moliere, you know? Just, uh, wait a minute, he just fell over there on the stage. Oh my God, he's dead. <laughs> David, for closing my please. <laughs> but, but now, I, I mean, I do find it, it's something I'm thinking about, but it's more like, it's it's less like where is my career going it's more like wow will i ever get to have that feeling again of being on a stage with a live audience making that connection because it's it sounds so cliche but you know as an actor that it really is real and it's half the reason we want to do it mm -hmm. uh, we want to well, who somebody, I think during our town, somebody said, you know, every night, every at the end of every performance, then that that performance is dead. And then it, it's like not until tomorrow night or Thursday night, you know, that we revive it. And and that that yeah, I think whoever said it put it more more poetically than I just did, but but that it only lives once. Each performance only lives once. And and even though we've learned the lines and we do the blocking and we, you know, it's mostly the same, it's never the same. And I think that, um, I think that would, you know, that would be part of my uh, going forward. It would be part of the fun of it to say, well, let's just see what happens. Having said that, mm -hmm. when you, when you are a person of a certain age, then you, you do need to start thinking about, well, do I have the stamina for this? Um, I am almost never in a production where there's an understudy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and usually if, if it's a big part, it's not something that somebody can learn in an afternoon. Um, so then there is a certain liability that I think I bring to, you know, I, I bring, I bring something to the table that I think wonderful theaters in, in this town kind of go, well, I didn't ask Jim if he thinks he could make it through this, but <laughs> I know when I did the Rembrandt uh, and the, particularly the Homer, the Homer part, uh, Stephen Weiss is a wonderful director. And, yes, he is. And, and I just think he, I think he was really impressed that I had the kind of stamina that I have, the kind of, um, I don't know if it's juice, but so, and, and I also, I hope, you know, when we get past this and we're back on the boards and all that, I, I also hope I would have the good sense to go, okay, <laughs> it's time to get off. I went through a period of stage fright that lasted seven years wow. and I didn't act at all when I was in my 40s. Mm -hmm. and, I, and kind of fortunately, I was working a lot internationally. And so I couldn't have really done a show anyway. But the truth was I was... I had seven years where I was terrified to go on stage and would not take a role. And then I kind of crept back, uh, just almost invented a process. I almost think I could teach <laughs> the process. Yeah. Um, and and I, again, I never take it for granted that I, I don't have debilitating stage fright now. Yeah. But, um, but I do know, I know some actors who worry way more about lines now than they used to mm -hmm. and you know and are probably saying well i hope i i hope i have the good sense to get off before i get pushed off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. 
Yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't come back in the Jordan wizard. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, yeah. I um uh just my own little tidbit on like line memorization. I I got to a point like, a couple of years ago where I caught myself taking the process of memorization for granted. Yeah. Like I was getting really stagnant with it and and Honestly, it wasn't until I had to learn a part in 24 hours that it snapped me back to attention. I mean, like the work, the diligence that goes into it. And I am extremely thankful that I'm, that A, I was able to do that in, a, in 12 hours and B, that I was asked to get that opportunity. And like, now it's one of those things where like I used to challenge show like the rest of my cast, like we're getting off book. Like first, last person on book's got to bring beer. <laughs> That's good. We don't like. It's it, it's not the only job, but once that job is out of the way, the rest of it is the is the it's the fun part. I mean, you're talking about being up on stage and in the moment, unafraid. I liken it to when I'm on stage and can fart and not break character. <laughs> like I'm not trying to be crass. I mean that's. Like that's the, the I've I've been in the moment, had a little accident, a little <laughs> watched the other actors smell it, and thankfully the character was the type to not apologize for it, and just act like look at them with this look in my eye, like how are you going to handle that? You okay? <laughs> like, and just use that as a tactic for whatever it is that I'm I'm working on in the moment. Those are you must have studied with Jason Maxwell. Oh yeah, Jason is really big into. He's, a, he's 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 our favorite. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. God, I will I will never forget. We did Romeo and Juliet years ago at the Vintage Theater off of Seventeenth and I think High. I can't remember where it is, where it was exactly. Right next to the Thin Man, up in that area. Yeah. He uh he would smell his feet every night um, playing this particular character. And the sheer look of, of the sheer look and sound on his face of just youthful joy and exuberance <laughs> killed me every time. And I'll never forget that. Like, ah! it was that uh, it's just, Jason Maxwell, we love you. We have to have you on the podcast soon. You should. We, I love that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jim, how do you feel about answering some rapid fire questions? I'll do it. Oh, my man, my man, my man. First rapid fire question. Remember, if you are uncomfortable, you can pass it. Where do you get your news from, Jim? My news? Mm -hmm. um, mostly my phone. So I'll read articles that, you know, I subscribe to the Denver Post and New York Times and also take the New Yorker. So I'm more likely to get my news, just read it on my phone. And also a lot of times people will post on Facebook, they'll post an article from a trusted source, you know, and I'll read that. So I don't ever watch TV, except movies and and series, you know, but I don't ever watch network TV ever. Nice. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm the same. I try and avoid it. What's up, Josh Hartwell? As well. <laughs> Josh, you can say hi. Yeah, Josh, make an appearance. Josh, um, poke your head in here. Next question. He can't, he can't hear me. He's, do you feel he's washing his mask. Oh, okay. What movie do you feel deserves a sequel? Uh, Citizen Kane. Ooh, nice. <laughs> oh, yes. I just Only but silly. a goodie. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, what is the uh, wallpaper on your phone? Oh, uh, it's... May I look? Absolutely. Yeah, it's sort of like a cloudy sky. Okay. It, it, it looks a lot better. It, it looks a lot better when it, it's not oh, yeah. um, totally. I've got, uh, filmed. I've got Michael Jordan. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, very cool. You got Michael Jordan the last couple of this last month. Um, next question. Which living musician would you pay the most to see? Probably Yo-Yo Ma. Ah. How was that concert yesterday on PBS? It's great. I I listened to most of it. Yeah, very dark, Bachy. What was your first car? Uh, it was a Pontiac Le Mans. Oh, 
I'm going to have to look that up to find out what that looks like. That's awesome. 1965. It was Burgundy. A on Burgundy. I like it. And I sold it within a year and bought a Volkswagen Bug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you definitely upgraded that. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, what conspiracy theory do you kind of believe the most? Uh, that when you're elected uh, to uh, office like the presidency, uh, except everything is not the same now with that thing that's in the White House, but demonic yeah. uh, 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 <laughs> the 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 orange pig yes. uh, that. Uh, you know that you think you're going to be making lots of decisions and then and then and then the people who really run the world take you into a room and they tell you how it really works uh i you know and it's i'm probably just talking about big money but you know i i think they're i i think that's way more than conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah i this is a remember it comes in threes the rule of three you are not alone i believe that there's yeah, that that first briefing with the president is like, yeah. listen, you're going to make a lot of decisions, and that's good, good for you. Yeah. But this is what's going to end up happening. Exactly. Yeah. This is this is how it really works. Mm -hmm. Who is your first celebrity crush? My first celebrity crush was probably Anthony Perkins, actually, way back before he did Psycho when he was in a movie like Friendly Persuasion. And yeah. You remember Anthony, Anthony Perkins, remember? He was the he was the son, right? He was he was running the hotel for his mom. Yeah, he's Norman Bates in Psycho, but yeah, I just adored him. Mm. Nothing tops Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I probably had one on her too. Oh well. Elizabeth Taylor for sure. Oh man, she comes out as, as the queen. Mm -hmm. Cleopatra, get I can't stop. Anyway, what's your favorite word? Gosh, I had I had something flashed on that was really good. Um, oh wow, probably Josh. That's a great word. I like that word too. Well, Jim, when we get to this point in the podcast, we ask the rapid fire questions. I always like to close with uh, what ghost light do you wish was left on for you that you'd leave on to the next generation? Yeah. Um, I think it would be to go for it more. <clears throat> wholeheartedly and and uh, even though I said I'm I don't regret that I didn't join equity and I wine time uh, I think I would have I wish I had taken it seriously sooner more seriously sooner you know because um, I do think I probably would have been very happy for a theater to have been my whole career yeah um and to not always have it ancillary um now that i'm semi-retired uh it's i'm able to let theater back into my life in a big way mm -hmm. but you know when you think of when i when i think of the roles i didn't play when i was younger when i could have i think um there's some maybe some regret there. So I, I would say go for it right away. <laughs> and, 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 and uh, it's hard to tell people this right now with, with the way the world is, you know, it'd probably be better to tell people to be sure to take some accounting courses and. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's a good time to start to examining practicality exactly. in terms of a business. Having said that, I don't, I don't feel regret. I mean, I really don't think I'm regretful. I'm just thinking um, if, if I had it to do over again, I might do something a little different. I hear you, I hear you. Uh, Jim, yeah, thank you so much for being here. This has been a, a great thrill for me. It's been a great thrill for me, Sam, because we are getting to know each other a lot better.
definitely. And uh, I, I, I got to be honest, I, I was, uh, I made a joke about working at the at the downtown YMCA, and it, and it's because of the connection I made with you and Cajardo that I still get to act. Now, honestly, you two saved my career. Wow. And um, I have a, a great deal of respect um, for you, and I am honored that you would sit down with me and uh, share some stories with me. And if you don't mind, I'd like to do, uh, I'd like to pay homage to your brother, if that's all right. Thank you very much. And of course. Thank um, you, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the guest was Jim Hunt, his brother, Ron. Yes. Thank you so much for everything you did, sir. Thank you for your brother. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Mm. Dan Ribb, do the damn thing.